Welcome to the Future Fair Food Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm Sinead. Join us in conversations with the change makers shaping a new fairer food system. Welcome back to the Fair Food Podcast. Last weekend, Fucha went west together with Friends of the Earth and the IAN as we organized the two-day The Future is Rule event in the Museum of Country Life in Castlebar. We were blown away by the amount of people coming to the event and being interested in all things sustainability in rural areas. On the Friday evening, we organized a streaming of the award-winning documentary In Our Hands, Seeding Change which was followed by a panel discussion with Social McHugh from the Green Party, Fergal Anderson from Talif Bio and David O'Donnell, head chef at Billy Castle. The panel was facilitated by Sinead from Future and at the end also features our special guest for the evening, Breda Larkin. Enjoy the episode. Myself and my partner are from Mayo. We grew up on farms. Uh, I grew up on a sofa farm. My role was only and ever to stand in the gap. I had nothing more than that to do with it. My foray back into farming is a long-winded story, but in short, we we're back on the land about three years and we're trying to find our way of making that land, um, being able to make a sustainable living off it. Because our choices are, particularly in the West, is we either still have to, would have to have an off-farm job, or, you know, an off-farm job, yeah, to create some kind of income and then farming the land as a part-time thing. And that's not what we want to do. So we're quite lucky that we have species-rich grass, um, thick hedgerows and things like that. So we kind of have a, a piece of ground that we want to conserve and that's what we're trying to do. So uh, the other part, or the other hat that I have on, is uh, I'm also co-director with Natalie here of Future. Future is a social enterprise and in short we try and do two things. We map farmers, like myself, and some of the guys up here and some in the audience. And we also try to create content basically about these farmers and share their story and kind of talk about why we need to eat better for people, place and planet in short. So this film, um, actually it's the first time I've seen this one and it couldn't have been a better opening I think to this weekend because all of the points that have been raised in that movie will be raised here this evening but they'll also be raised tomorrow. So every hour tomorrow we have we're starting with soil, seed, grow, eat right through to, um, you know, we have plenty of short films and talks in here and workshops. And all of the groups that will be here tomorrow each have a role to play within this kind of alternative food system, this kind of localised food system. So that's enough for me. Uh, to our speakers. So first up here, uh, thankfully, I have the lovely David O'Donnell. David is head chef at Billy Castle and Jack Venn Courtyard Café. It's a boutique hotel, which its food influence comes from its local producers and cuisine that has a modern influence. They have received numerous awards. David originates from Cork, don't hold it against him. And his inspiration for food comes from when he was younger, spending countless summer holidays in the good west of Ireland. And there, as a kid, he basically, throughout his life and younger, he learned from uh, to use food that came from land, sea and air and to buy all of that to create a depth of flavour. He then has gone on to work in numerous hotels around Ireland and had a stint in France as well. David describes, and I, I love this word, David describes his cooking style as one based in partnership with locally sourced ingredients from farmers, fishermen, breeders and providers from the wild Atlantic way who he works with to ensure that the food that they serve is both local and seasonal. So that's David. Next up, we have Fergal Anderson. Fergal has been working in food and ag issues for more than 10 years, including three years in Brussels, working with what was mentioned in the film, the international organisation, the Via Campesia. He now farms in East Galway. Their farm is Leaf and Root Farm. He farms with his partner, Manu, and they grow fruit and vegetables for direct sale to markets and restaurants. He's also one of the founding members of Talabio, which is a new farmers' organisation, very much like the Land Workers Alliance that you've seen here in the movie. So he's going to give us a bit of a talk about that. And then next we have Sorsha. Sorsha McHugh is, has a good few hats like myself. She uh, interestingly did the internship, which is the OGI internship, which is the Organic Growers, which is something that was created to try and give people kind of real lived work experience to get them growing. She now currently sits on the board of the OGI. She also did an internship uh, with Irish Seed Savers, so she has 
direct experience again with saving our seeds. She has a journal column. She's a grower herself in Ackham. She has a master's in sustainable uh, agriculture and food, and she recently ran for MEP as well. And she is our politician. That's exactly what we need, the best kind. <laughs> Uh, so that's it. So this evening's going to be a very open debate. We don't want this to be a lecture. We don't want this to be us talking at you. So please get involved. But I'm going to start it off with a question for the panel. And each one of them will kind of take a few minutes to introduce their work and stuff like that. So to kind of get you started, we'll start with uh, Fergan. And the question I have really to get this going was that based on your own working experience, how can good food and good farming help us to kind of build a sustainable future. Okay, yeah. It's a, it's a tough question. It's a, it's a, it's a, I mean, I think that we could be here all night and we might not get comfortable answers to that question. But I mean, what I can do is offer a little bit of what we're thinking about with Talib Bio. Because I think when we're talking about building a, a, a new rural uh, livelihoods and changing the farming system, these are big uh, systems which, as you, you kind of heard a bit about there, are subject to forces that we, we may feel are somewhat beyond our control. And in the context in Ireland, at the moment, it gives us a good indication of that when we see farmers beginning to ask the questions that a lot of people in this film were asking about, who are we actually producing the food for? Um, who's, where's, the, where's the money going? Uh, why would I get a uh, profit out of, out of my work? And these are very basic things that you would expect any job to have as a return on the, the labour that you put into it. And farmers are, I mean, farmers might just be the most important people on the planet right now. I know that sounds crazy, but... Given the situation we're in with climate change and the, the, the breakdown of ecosystems and loss of biodiversity, farmers hold the land, and it's ultimately it's farmers who will have the impact on what kind of future the land will, how the land will look into the future. The decision lies in, in, in their hands to a great extent. It lies in the hands of policy as well, but it also lies in, in, in the hands of many, many individuals. And what we're trying to do with, with Talib Bio, I suppose, is to is to give a voice to the kind of model of farming that we think can, can exist in Ireland into the future. So I think the situation we have, we have at the moment where we're basically trying to compete in global commodity markets with, uh, with our beef, with our dairy, um, versus a kind of completely diversified model which is producing lots more things that will serve the people, communities, can provide other livelihoods, that can provide a stimulus to rural economies that are very much in decline that can provide a good livelihood for people, young people that are coming, looking for a better life, looking for another way of, of, of living. Um, and I think what, we, what we're lacking a little bit, where Talib Dio came from, was that discussion of saying, there's this narrative around food and farming in Ireland that is such a great success story. And it's not a great success story for many people that I know, or many of our neighbours and farmers and friends, who are working part-time outside their farm, whose, whose farm itself can't make much of a living. That's not a success story. The success story would be one where we have a food and agricultural system which provides good livelihoods, which feeds the local communities. And we want to create a vision around that that comes from the voice of the farmer. What you heard here were farmers talking about their own livelihoods. That's a much more profound thing to listen to than an academic report, than an NGO, than somebody coming to you from a, from a, from a professional, or it could be a politician even, <laughs> telling you what the... What, what, what needs to be done and what needs to happen. We need to listen to farmers, and what we wanted to do with Talib Bio is create a voice for farmers. And that's not an easy thing to do, because we're talking about establishing a new organisation, we're talking about setting it up from scratch, with very little time, very little money, with you know, very little expertise. That's farmer-led, so we have a core group of 10 or 12 people, uh, they're all farmers, so like we're doing Skype calls at half nine in the evening, trying to organise things and set the website up, put the membership up on the website, organise events, Etc. Etc. That's not easy to do. I mean, nobody's got time to do anything, let alone sit down in front of the computer, computer at half nine and talk. Although it's, it's quite cathartic actually to talk about some of the issues. But um, that's what we're trying to do, and I would encourage you all to go. I mean, what you heard at the end, the Irish Land Workers Alliance, sorry, the UK Land Workers Alliance. That's exactly the kind of model that we're trying to replicate here. And what they're going to try and do there, and what we hope to do here, is to provide a pathways for farmers, for young people, for citizens in rural areas to sort of say, okay. We're going to collectively build a new food system. That's one thing we need to do. And the second thing we need to do is make it crystal clear to our to policymakers, etc., etc., that we want things which facilitate that, as opposed to make it difficult. And because what we're seeing is lots of people doing with great examples all over the country, doing direct marketing, doing alternative production systems, 
and none of those people are getting any support for that. They're doing it completely out of passion, they're doing it because they're a bit mad, they're doing it because they really believe in it. And you can't expect everyone, you know, we're not going to change society by depending on this fringe. We have, at some point we have to move the fringe into the mainstream and say, actually, we've got a better system for managing the land. We can propose better alternatives, better quality of life. And I think, I mean, what I see as the main priority now is, is to try and organize ourselves because we're all over the place in little kind of little groups and little uh, sectors and things like that. And we need to find that common voice and find a way of articulating it. It's not easy. You have to work with other people and everybody knows how <laughs> complex that can be. But once we find that and once we get our systems in place, I think that could be something that really could, have, uh, could make a big difference because we're at that point now where there is a discussion about food and agriculture in Ireland and if we don't have a voice in that discussion, we won't be heard. And that's basically why we're setting up Tolopio. So that's my response to your, okay. your question. <laughs> a loaded uh, question with a loaded answer? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Sorsha, we'll go to yourself. Um, yeah, so I suppose just, y you kind of touched on it there. What I often hear is, and I suppose I just saw my, my most recent experience trying to run for office, um, is that you know, farmers will never vote green, and they don't just mean the Green Party, they mean that farmers will never vote pro-environment. And, and I, like, the more and more I heard this, I was like, where is it coming from? And I started watching, and you know, you'd sit down in front of a radio presenter, and he'd say, well, farmers don't care about the environment. And I'm like, that is just the craziest thing to stick together that I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. And then you talk to farmers, you had a farmers meeting, and you'll say, you know, there is no separation, and everyone here knows that. No, there's no line between farming and the environment, um, even though it's it's been drawn repeatedly and that narrative has been pushed repeatedly, and the reason it's being done, I think, because and this is a bit tinfoil hat of me, but I do think if those alliances were made between farmers, um, and now I'm not talking about a lot of the farmers in, in the room, I'm talking about a lot of the majority of farmers in Ireland. If that alliance was made between environmentalists and farmers, then, well, I think it would be unstoppable and it would be quite a challenge to the status quo and to a few of the enormous farmers that we do have. Um, as to, you know, how can a sustainable food system as it support a rural yeah, economy, so thriving rural economy? Yeah, like, how can it, how can it, like, all we ever hear, like, you know, you've mentioned it there, a new narrative. Yeah. All we ever hear about rural areas, and you're from yeah. a rural area, I'm from a rural area, is that rural areas are defined, they are defined, the facts are there, there's no denying it. But yeah. I, I find now being back in Mayo, and particularly with the way we farm, and getting to meet people like Fergal, and other people through Talibio, and people through Future, that for, for the first time in a long time, I see that there's actually quite positive. Yeah. If, like you said, if perhaps maybe if we had control of that story and yeah. if we could really get that narrative out. And I, I think there'll have to be a sustainable food system for there to be a sustainable rural mm. community because otherwise you're out in the middle of all this land and you're at the end of supply chains and mm -hmm. you're just shut mm -hmm. off. I was walking, um, we were walking up the Bob Road with my dad once and I was talking about food and, and he, he meant this totally the opposite way. I think he sees his role as to kind of like disagree with me all the time <laughs> but he goes look down at that village there and so I looked and he goes once upon a time within my lifetime that produced most of his own food and he went to go on I kind of stopped listening to him he went to go on back isn't it great now we can just go to Tesco and I was like but I'm looking at the village and I was like yeah like the whole village even the shape of it is arranged around you know the gardens are all up behind the field and I, I don't see a future for rural Ireland without a total transformation of our economies because it's not just, you know, it's not just the physical act of eating and ingesting food. Mm -hmm. Like you can see it now in Dua, where I'm from, the shop, and I know I sound like every cliche ever, but the shop and the post office have closed in the last 10 years. Um, but, you know, not many people go to mass anymore. The schools are shutting down. And unless you're out, you don't meet people unless you're in a field you don't meet people and then you can't get anything done because someone's talking to you but i see it not just as the future for our you know economic communities but it's the future for our, like the social fabric yeah. of our communities is a sustainable well, there's huge room for growth 
it's, it's the only place where there's any room for growth in the Irish yeah. agricultural economy mm-hmm. is in, in local markets. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, everyone's selling into the global, global market for nothing. I mean, like, I mean, the potential is huge, I think, there for, to stimulate that. But it's, it, there's no... There's a tendency for us to... For the, when I worked in Brussels, they had the expression, it's the carrot and the stick, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's like the money and the regulation. That was what they, that's how they treat farmers. And it's very much like a kind of like, that's how the commission thinks of farming. Carrot and stick. I mean, I mean it, it, that's a very disempowering position for farmers to be in. Farmers have been continuously disempowered. No, no, I mean, you, took, you see what it took for Gerald Miles to come to the point. He had to be nearly in, in, in the room with the bank manager to say, oh my God, I have to change my whole model of farming. It's like a transformation. And like, I mean, not everyone's going to do that. In their, it depends what, sometimes it takes a crisis in your life before you come to that point of change. But I mean, there's a new generation which is coming which should be able to do that, which can do that, which wants to do it. It's kind of sick of working in a shit job in Dublin and driving two hours to work or whatever. I mean, there's people out there who want, who, want, who want a different kind of style of life, and we have to try and find ways to get them into that, you know, I, I would say. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. Mm. Which is, uh, leads me to David. You mentioned for their local markets. Um, David, I think, for again, bringing back to my experiences with meeting so many farmers, being back in Mayo, it's great to see so many chefs really taking the lead here on connecting with. You know, they mentioned CSA here in the film. CSA is Community Sports Agriculture, and I think there's a there's a slight movement here. I think when RSA. it came to chefs, yeah, they forgot the local produce, mm. um, and it became a trend. Whereas, I take it back to my childhood. I grew up in Cork, old, it's a seaside town. There is no agriculture really, only potatoes and stuff like this. But my father is from before Ackle Eternity, so I loved coming to the west in the, in the summer. And it's there I found my love of food and stuff like that. Because, yes, you had your kitchen garden, you grew all your own vegetables and stuff like that. You had your cows, you took your milk. Then you had your chickens with the eggs and stuff like that. So, and then you had the sheep on the mountain. That's farming. Mm. Um, you know, uh, not to the degree of what the guys did here, but local communities, they, they forgot their allotments where they had their vegetables back in the 60s, 70s. You know, you go back to... The restaurants back then they they bought from farmers direct so that's what i do i buy direct i don't buy from say the big companies like palace LaRousse. yes they do some certain things but if i'm buying pork it's from andal farm in, in mayo i buy cheese from the iron islands i buy cheese from mayo from dozios you know if the vegetables we grow ourselves we have a full-time gardener two polytunnels um you know which will be three and to be self-sustainable, it's not possible yet. But, you know, it's kind of, a lot of restaurants out there don't do that. And they don't support the locals. Like farmers markets, stuff like this, you know. Some of them will be on trend, and that's what they do, and that's what they'll do. <coughs> but it's not actually real food. Real food comes from supporting the, the farmers, the producers. You know, it's like sustainable fish. It's like sustainable meat. Like, you know, there's farmers out there that grow, but they don't grow in the right way. Um, and you know, for a restaurant to, to support that, it's quite hard, but it, it, it's possible, it's achievable to, to make a profit, and for the farmers to make a profit, or the growers. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about awareness. You go back to the schools, the children, the kids, they don't really know where the food comes from. Nobody cooks at home these days, you know, unless you're lucky. Let's <laughs> yes. be honest. You know, you go to Tesco, they are Duns or Little Aldi, they have vegetables for 49 cents. Where's the taste? Where's the flavour? It's not there. It's grown for, you know, the seeds aren't, they're GM seeds, they're all that kind of stuff. So, what we do is we use uh, open pollination, all that kind of stuff. We have 10 beehives, you know, we, it's, it's, a, it's a three year process that we're at. We're at year one, we're not there. You know, you go back to Cork. In the 70s, 80s, you have the likes of Ballymaloo, Longville House, all those. You know, then you come and you do like Ballynockham Farm. You know, you go to Beach, Beach Lawn Organic, all those kind of. You have the guy on the side of the road in Spittle, in Galway, and Gary Glass. Yeah. You know, like they're the real people that farm. Yes, you have the farmers and the producers that pr- produce stuff, but it's not really, it's not supporting anybody. Yeah. You know, you have. The likes of them buying the chicken and stuff like that. I support Ron Burn, the friendly farmer, and go, when I was working in Galway, that's where I got my chicken. You know, it, that's what you need to do. Yes, it is 
more expensive buy-in, which you charge accordingly, or you know, you buy direct. Buying direct is more in the pocket to the farmer producer, but it's actually cheaper than buying from a supplier that actually buys in that. I get yogurt from Velvet Cloud and their cheese, it's actually cheaper for me to buy direct from them. Mm. Then, <laughs> you know, but that, that's what you have to do. You know, so I think it, we need to go back to the schools and get the, the children educated from junior infants, senior infants, mm -hmm. you know, have producers come in, open days for them, you know, interact that way. That's, that's, that's the key. Yeah. You have to re-educate people because a lot of people are just there, they have their wages, they shop accordingly to a budget, but farmers markets, buying direct on the road, it does work. You know, the box delivery service, it does work. You know, you go in Galway and you look at the big farmers market on a Saturday. Mm. You look at the fish supplier, he doesn't supply restaurants anymore, he does the markets because it's more money for him. <laughs> you know, it does work and it's educating people. In Mayo, there's not really that many farmers markets that you can say they're a wow. You know, to be honest, you have the one in Westport, but you know, I think there needs to be a lot more support yeah, given support, to farmers. Yeah, farmers, support. farmers markets. I don't know why every town in the country doesn't have covered area for a farmers market. It's mm. just that's where the market is. I mean, it's it's one of the worst parts of the world. Like you know, you go they have that in Spain. Keep the, yeah. the the sun off to keep the rain off. So like, uh, you're gonna make it easier for people. Mm. People are looking to get. Our experience is that people really want to get more local yeah. food and veg. And it's, it's like uh, drugs. It's something that is very hard to get. You need to know where to go. You need to know who to ask. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a little bit like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Dropping bags. He's got the a big fire. <laughs> but there's a lot of free food out there as well that, you don't, that people don't exactly. realize. You know, you can forage for stuff. It's, once you know, you know. Yeah. But you have to yeah. share the knowledge. Well, you I also think the idea yourself. of like regulation on supermarkets so heavy that they can't fart. So I guess. But unfortunately, the power is with the supermarkets. The, yeah. the power is there. The power is with Little Aldi, Duns, Tesco. The yeah. way to break that is people stop buying from them. Well, unless Buy you get social and But well, we were like saying we're not competing with them, actually, because it's a totally different product. What yeah. we're selling yeah. is not the same thing. And okay. like, if I'm, if I'm gonna, if we've got a bunch of beetroot, you can't get that in the supermarket. You can go to the supermarket and buy beetroot, but it's not the same as what you're getting from fresh out of the ground the day before, or whatever it is. So like, that's also an education thing. But, uh, but as a restaurant, them. that's what we do. We took the choice, the, what do we do? do? There was a polytunnel there I came <coughs> on board. They were sprinkling a few seeds and taking pictures. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. They were doing zero. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. They were doing zero. So, you know, I've worked in the industry. I know it is. I worked in places like Longwood House, has its own kitchen garden, a couple of acres, things like that. I went to America, worked in a place. We only bought from producers. Same in France. That's what I do. So, like, I went to Mount Falcon, okay, it didn't work out for me there. These things happen. But I took their gardener to the leak. That's how Alex works. But, you know, you, you, you make, Alex is a guy that, he loves a project. Yeah. It's a project. He, he grows what he likes. I produce on the, what, you know, food from what he grows. That's what it is. I think that's the key, actually, there. And that's the key in, in general for people's diets as well, to think about mm. eat what's in front of you, eat what's there. Because that's, that's probably the best thing for you anyway. Seasonality yeah. is another thing. Yeah, that's people people have to be educated about yeah. back to the seasons again. It's ridiculous to be able to buy that size of a strawberry yeah. in December. Mm. You know, it's, 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 it's just wrong. But what, why, can't, why can't we have uh, Irish peas in, in, in the supermarkets? Why can't mm. we have Irish runner beans? Why yeah. can't we have this? Yeah. The labour. Because it, it's to pick all those peas, I mean, that's the, I suppose that's part of it, but I mean... That's what you have it's not labour, it's jobs. Jobs, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's true. everybody who doesn't yeah. have a job feels yeah. their status goes down. Look, it, yeah. look I've, no I've no problem with people mentioning social welfare and things like this. It, it's not an issue, but when they sit at home and do nothing for it, it that's the issue. Can they not go out and, and help farmers and do things like that, give back to the community? Maybe that's, that's a way. Yeah. No, but I'm just saying. No, I'm just saying. But that's there. There, there's ways to make things work. This is a good opportunity, perhaps, to open it up to our audience to keep it. Uh, oh yeah. Um. Thank you to all the speakers. Fantastic. And thanks to Future and Fred Zierk and IEM for organising this brilliant um films. Great. So I wanted to ask. We've talked a bit about farmers and a little bit about retailers. I want to ask about the processors 
the big, you know, the the um, the Kerry groups, the Glambias, the Don Meats, those big Irish processors who've made made a lot of money over the years out of the industrialization. Um, what place do you see them having, if any, in a more sustainable food future? And if you have time to answer the second part of the question, uh, the IFA, same same question. Okay. So processors. In our new alternative food system that we're trying to promote yeah. over this weekend, is there a role for, I'm from Ballyhollis, the John Meats in Ballyhollis, is there a role for that factory? Well, we have a problem because we've created these transnational corporations with based, based in mm -hmm. Ireland, and you're right, I mean, what do you do? Mm -hmm. Because it, it, it's easy to say, oh, we're going to do all the good things that we can do. Now, I mean, <coughs> there's, there's a chance I would say, look, we need to construct the alternatives and uh, think about how to dismantle those things at the same time. I mean, part of me thinks that if you build the alternative big enough, that it will become less relevant. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately what you would hope is that if farmers embrace another way of farming and don't look at that kind of productivist system, I think those, those, those companies depend on this productivist system. It's maximize your output per, per hectare. And they don't think about anything else, really. It's volume. So if we're talking about transitioning the discussion away from volume into other things like social importance of the farm, the community, biodiversity, high quality food as opposed to high volume, those, those companies might begin to shift as well because they might go actually, there's money to be made in the quality markets as well. I, I, think, that, that I think none of them are stupid, you know, and they begin to see how that, the, the wind's mm -hmm. blowing internationally and that they can't continue this forever. But I don't think we should let them define how we act you know, strategically. So we have to think about what do we do as farmers, how do we mobilize people? We, we look at the positive things that we can do and do them, and then hopefully, and I don't know if we can intervene there, is what I'm saying. I'd love to intervene and dismantle them. You know what I mean? I'd love to, to dismantle lots of transnational corporations. So we should not be better off supporting places like Castle Mine Farm, that actually yeah, sure, yeah. Yeah. produce and have their own farm shops or Andal and Farm, they have beef. Yeah, yeah. Pork. I think that's a consumer. You know, consumers can do that for sure. But I mean, I think Castle Mine aren't supplying Don meets them. No, no, no. So, yeah. you know, like, there's still a lot of farmers supplying yeah. those companies. Like, a lot of them are locked into contracts. Well, why can't they supply craft butchers? Yeah. You look at the Shanahan's yeah. and Kilchima. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's a craft no, butcher. No, I, I agree you with know, that, yeah. There is ways to do things. It's just. Well, all that stuff is complicated. I mean, there's no local laboratories anymore because they're all dismantled. I mean, yeah. there's such a concentration of, of the processing at the moment in Ireland that it's. I mean, they've narrowed the market to such a, to, to such a small amount of companies. That there's nowhere to bring your produce. So like maybe one of the things we need to do is to find that middle ground, find a new way of processing our own, our own food again, uh, and eating it, and uh, getting our community to eat it. And that's where you'll begin to, to break that kind of just pushing the volume into the, into the big sure. model. And just to link that up, I, I think you're right. As consumers and as a chef, we can take positive action you know, and source direct as best we can, but that doesn't necessarily... It, it's good for those who are already doing things, and it does create a successful story to attract others. But I think what's kind of missing here is, and you've touched on it as well, is the regulation point. We do need, you know, this is a grassroots movement, but we've also got to have something coming from above that kind of steps in and says, okay, through regulation, we need to have an enabling environment where I can have an abattoir back again. You know, that we're not kind of... Because at the minute, none of that is there. And I think that's probably... I think it's it's important to remember that we need to find that balance and that meeting point between us both. Yeah. I, I just want to ask the RFA question as well. Do you want to get in there? Yeah, but, uh, so that was going to bring me to Sorsha. Uh, and oh, yeah. I'm just very quickly on the, on the abattoirs. Like we mm. do, you know, you c if we just switch and all of a sudden people started selling cattle to uh, craft butchers, like. But there is place to have abattoirs and Galway breedings. No, I'm not oh, saying yeah. what I'm saying, you know, though, is we've uh, created the system. Ackham and Ackham have their own abattoirs and stuff. Yeah. So no, no, we are, no, we are saying there, but even yeah. in Ireland, like, uh, like even this. They made it hard for. Yeah. 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 So we have created a system yeah. where we're like we export yeah. about eighty five percent of our yeah. produce. Yeah. Um, we, we, we still overproduce it. But like anything, I suppose it just you can almost you know that they will act for profit, and so in one way that's quite you know <coughs> unlike what we're talking about, is, which would be you know an alternative food system that would respond to hundreds of other kind of signals in one way I do think like obviously I would love to be supreme ruler and dismantle them but the only other option is um, 
building an alternative because we have had alternatives before. Like this kind of grazierdom we live in mm -hmm. is only 120, 130 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, before that we had grains, and before that we had flax, and before that we had you know a huge thriving wood industry. Um, so none of these things are permanent as well. Mm -hmm. And so I would use. On the, on the IFA, just very briefly on the IFA, because I think we need, we, the IFA, we can't avoid talking about the IFA, right? It's, it's the biggest, and it's probably the most successful, one of the most successful farming organizations in Europe. The IFA can't just stand up there? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can't respect the IFA. <laughs> 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 historically, the IFA has been incredibly... I'm the officer for the IFA, and they all saw that. Oh, yes. <laughs> 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 Get in with the question. Get in with the question. I think the answer to that, because the IFA has been incredibly successful at doing certain things, you know what I mean? And in embracing that productivist modernization model of agriculture. The problem is that has run its course. It, it, it hasn't served us in terms of the, the, the rural communities. It hasn't really served, it hasn't served the environment, I'm sure. Uh, and it was, we're seeing now that it's not serving farmers because they've seen their income input costs go up and the price of the product go down. And so like, it's like you've made a bad bet, but you're so far, you're so deep in that there's no way back out. Don't like, yeah, yeah, I that's a little bit of I think what they prove is that if you organize, they were one of the first mm -hmm. farmers' unions that ever get into a social partnership with the government and actually get in there and has been more or less defining government policy in, in Ireland for the last 20 or 30 years. And has even been in Brussels, and they're big players in Brussels. Yeah. You're the IFA, they're in the Copa Cajeca. They're, they're big heads in the Copa Cajeca. And they've actually pushed farming policy in Europe in the direction that serves their interests, which is an incredible success story. But unfortunately for us, not the direction maybe that we'd like to see uh, the farming go. Yeah. Yeah, would that be yep. true to say, though, for the bigger type farm, it does not necessarily represent the rural smaller farm? 100% agree with that. I, I, yeah. like, it's disproportionate. No, I think what's happened, I mean, when they started off, they were talking about all farmers. What you have now is, I think the IFA is under the control of a small group of big, rich farmers who dominate that policy. And it, it, I, mean, I think the breaking point for me with the IFA was a few years ago when they wanted that, the, the, the flattening out of the AIDS or whatever it was. Mm. And they mobilised people to more or less go to Dublin and protest against something that would be in the benefits of most of the, of the members. You know what I mean? They were against it because they said it was going you know, so like, I think that just demonstrates that there's been a capture of the IFA, and I don't know if there's any way of getting that back for the, for the grassroots of the organisation, but that's up to the IFA. Well, so. I'd just like to put this point to Saoirse, please. Yeah. Like, we, we talk about, the, say, the farmer's market, we talk about EU policy, and, you know, the land is no good, like we produce of it, but if you just bring it closer, your own local authorities shut all the markets down, mm -hmm. one by one. Yeah. I'm involved in care about sales and stuff like that. Mm. And I see people going in selling commodities and vegetables in care about sales. That is not their proper destination. That is not their place. Mm -hmm. no. They're out of proportion as to where they are. Yeah. Going back, it starts local, it starts in the small towns, it's driven from there. There isn't a witness politically to develop that. You're lost straight away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it is small-time politics grown into a bigger pit. Mm -hmm. And is, like, I, I don't know much about that. Do you know, does that authority still rest to the local councils? Because it I is, know, yeah. so that's still... It is. You're right, there's so many scales yeah. of, of regulation from, particularly in Ireland, down to, we've got, is there four districts in Mayo? So if I wanted to sell in Westport, I'd talk to someone different who want to sell in Ballinage, you know, so there's... There's, there's small town politics and there's big town politics as well. I'm just going to keep the questions going because I'm a little bit conscious of time. I'm going to go here at the front. Well, this, well, you're talking about the beef, you know, trying to p compete against the big factory owners. I mean, I think it's a good chance to undermine them because I don't think that's ever going to change because even a beef tribunal couldn't stop that. You know, there's like, you know, if people would buy, you know, it is down to consumer to buy directly off farm, buy a cow between mm -hmm. people and community. I think ethical eat is a good thing, you know. Like, you know, and then, like, it is, I think it comes down to consumer to actually buy, you know, like meat boxes and things from yeah. the consumer. And just, yeah, I think that's how. Every one yeah. of us has a role to play. And yeah, I think, like, you important. know, that's why our panel here is quite diverse as well, because everyone has a role to play from, you know, I say eater, and yet we all eat. But from the, because I hate the word consumer, yeah. but yeah, from, from eater right through to the person yeah. that produces it, you know, we, yeah. you know, as, 
because he said three times a day we need a farmer. Yeah. We kind of do forget that. And, and I don't think there'll be any one, like, because in, in all of these, well, the way I see it, talking about sustainable food systems, there's so many chicken and egg scenarios mm-hmm. whereby, you know, it would be great to eat local food. Um, but, the, you know, there's no one there because people don't have access to land, because people can't take the risk. Um, and so, like that, you know, it'll be local authority work, it'll be eaters, it will be government policy. Like, I think there's so many areas whereby, you know, concerted action will be needed because no one thing, I think, will change this on its own. Yeah, it's a radical order. Is there, I'm going to go here and then I'll finish yourself. Yeah. Yeah, how would you feel about um, if there was pressure put on the local authorities to re establish co ops in every parish across the country? A co op is a centre where people can go and buy the local produce. Because the supermarkets will never support the local guy. But if we had a centre where we could go with local produce and it'll support people who are good at baking around the seasons, as the lady in front of us said, where people can make jam in the ocean time and bring that product to the co op and you can buy it. Where this parking, and uh, you can skip going to your supermarket for your fresh produce. And it's a great idea. Um, it should be driven from <coughs> the council to make sure that everybody from their own area to post for the council. And we work I think they have one in Scarif in, in, in Clare. There's a co-op. Just the room. Where people can come together at some reasonable rates of price and they can all benefit and have a seasonal section where people can, back into the year, send their jams. Their tarts ongoing and local people are good at making boxes. They don't have to be all just from the farm. They can compute, uh, support the whole community, and it's a little less for money for everybody too. That's not from the farming background, and even more so for the farming background. But sometimes, what's wrong is the local producers try to produce to get into the supermarkets instead mm. of doing a co-op. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that's what the issue is. So co-op works. It's the yeah. kind of situation. People need to pull together and put pressure on. They all want to be the next big thing for yeah. say. Super value or Aldi or Lidl or be the number one. The food academy. Yeah, you know. Pressure is there. Yeah, pressure is there. To so co op would work in that sense. Yeah. There was, sorry, yeah, co op. Um, there was an attempt in Ackle, like, was it 83 or 73, um, to start up a co op? And like, I've done the leaflets in the house and it's uh, Boss No Baja, right? This is the, the sale of it. And in it, you know, they're talking about using a, there's a particular piece of land that's owned by the commonage owners, and they're talking about um, getting greenhouses in and starting up this co-op. And they were over in London handing out these leaflets because everyone worked in London at the time. And the priest had them kicked out for distributing seditious material. <laughs> um, and it, well, it's kind of funny, but he stood on the pulpit for the next few months talking against it. And the man who's still like he was, he's been everyone's headmaster. He rages when he talks about them. That like finished the church for him. And I was like, why? What else? And he was like, it was nothing. It was a co-op. That's all it was. And we do kind of have a fear of them here, man. I'm just going to keep going with the questions yourself, and then I'll be up to you there. Yeah, I just wanted to ask the panel, what do you think uh, has been the effect of the EU payments, the cap payments on Irish agriculture? Uh, I suppose they are driving it. And also, particularly in relation to loss of biodiversity. Yeah, that's we could be here all night with that one as well. That's a good question. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the it's the distribution of payments. Is the is it, I mean, I, I don't think people are against the idea of publicly funding agriculture. Let's remember that's what the common agricultural policy is for. We pay money to go back into our food system to give us good quality, healthy food, a good quality environment, uh, yeah, and provide livelihoods for, for people in the countryside, right? I think it's probably failing in all three of those counts. So at the moment, the common agriculture policy money is essentially supporting agribusinesses. In Ireland, it's supporting agribusinesses for the export market, and it's at the detriment of our own natural environment and farmers' livelihoods and our health, right? So that's, that's why I'm getting back to the top of view and the organizing ourselves. I mean, that's our money, okay? That's our taxpayers' money going into the pockets of the public, again, farmers. So we need to, be able, we, we need to understand that system better, and it's a very complicated system that's been maybe reformed, I don't know how many times since it was brought in in the 1950s, to the kind of weird monster that it is now where you're, you're paid on the area of land that you have, essentially, which rewards as well, the more land you have, the more money you get, which it just seems crazy because really, the more productive resources you have, the more money we're going to give you. I mean, I think it's, I, I get zero in cap payments. We have, in seven years, we haven't got a penny from the common agricultural policy. No support. Yeah, the queen. I mean, I said the queen is the highest. Uh, so I mean, 
Like I said, I personally don't have a problem with the idea of public money supporting those three things, good quality food, good quality environment, and rural livelihoods. But you yeah, have a big problem with the way the economic agriculture policy is set up at the moment, because I don't think it's doing any of those things. Mm -hmm. so that's it. And, and fundamentally, I think it, you know, it was set up, it was founded to provide cheap, nutritious mm -hmm. food for people in Europe. And I think it doesn't, like it is an agricultural production policy, and I don't think mm -hmm. it has the tools in it, no matter how many, like, Space for nature kind of paragraphs. Yeah, you put in. It does. It doesn't have the tools to to look at the major challenges we face now, which are biodiversity loss, soil destruction, climate breakdown. Um, because it is at its very core, it's an agricultural production policy. The, the space for the art government to do stuff outside the camp as well, which is not doing. And like that's up to the, that's up to us to, to to push it to do those things more. And like, I mean, the support for organics is pitiful as well. The Irish government, I mean, they, they could be doing an awful lot more. You know what I mean? Uh, with, with within the framework of the camp, which they're not, they're not, their hands aren't tied. And every time you go to Dublin, they say, "Oh, that's Brussels," you know. Yeah. And you go to Brussels, and they're like, oh, "That's Brussels." <coughs> and like that's they are, they're constantly at that. But it, a lot of it is actually down to Dublin, and it's going to be more down to Dublin in the future because that looks like the way that they're going to do, what they're going to do with the cap is give more subsidiarity to. Uh, to nation states to decide for themselves, which is both an opportunity and a threat for us, because mm -hmm. at the moment we're up against a very, very strong lobby. <laughs> but that's again another reason why we need to organise ourselves in a group like Talabio, where we say, okay, no, we have an alternative, we've got other ideas, we've got other possibilities, other things that we want to do, we want money for. I think that's um, a good point, because uh, as you said, with the EU cap, we are going to have more power here at Brussels, um, and it's a good point maybe to take home even from this, that politically going forward, we can really begin to put some pressure on at home, mm. because now we will have a bit more say over how the cap is paid out. And while, yeah, the cap within itself doesn't really do that, there has been some small examples within the cap where it has been taken as a collective action. Like a co-op, you've got Burn Life, which has been a fantastic project. Yeah. It's had the farmers in the ground. Yeah. So we do have examples of where cap can work when it's done right, but it's just not being done. And there was a lady with a question here. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you were saying it isn't any one thing. There are many. I think education is a really important element here. That you know, Palaf um, Bill is is live land. That we're talking about nutritionally dense food, mm -hmm. and that the, the you know I think in the video they said somebody said the farmer should be as important as the doctor. Well, the farmer should be the doctor. You know, the farmer is given the health food that's given the nutrients that means you don't need all the medication and all the rest and um, so I think that's really important uh, even down to you know making people aware that you know going to a restaurant you know where the food you're you're getting good nutrient food you're getting you might be paying a little bit more but you're getting what you pay for yeah. you know it's not apples with apples and I, th I think you're dead right, and so much of how we interact with our food, because um, like, I, I don't think if you talk to a single person, they'd say, oh yeah, I want bad food, and I want to feed my kids bad food. <laughs> like There's there's so much in how we structure our societies that influence how we interact with food, in that like a 40-hour work week is this relic whereby you're assumed to have a spouse at home um, cooking and cleaning and doing spouse-at-home things. Um, and so, you know, there's so many people where, there's so many families where two people are working, and if you arrive home, like it's it, trying to keep things clean and feed yourself. Like I've tried to do it being a single person, and you, you lose hope, and you just end up eating a pizza because you're like, I can't cook now. Um, you for the easy opportunity. You for the easy time. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. They're tired of thinking, well, maybe we have the same problem with, we, we ran a CSA, which is Community Sport of Agriculture, for a couple of years, and people get a bag of veg, and if you get a bag of veg every week, you have to cook all that yeah. veg. And nobody had time. You guys, people are just going, who just wanted these things, like spinach, because it's been boiled up and it goes into anything, and it just goes in the pan, you know. Take a It's just anything you have to peel or process or That's why you need to go back to the, to the children and educate them. Well, and also reduce, reduce work week. Reduce the work week, yeah. And I think, I think the thing for this is the climate change, because I mean, climate change is going to affect us all, right? Yeah. If it doesn't affect you, it will definitely affect your children. And well, we, we haven't got many positive 
you know, outlooks in the future. There's a lot of negativity going around. And I actually think there's a really positive thing that we can get out of climate change, which is to say, you'll have a better life. You'll have more time. Yeah. Because we have no time. We've been, we've been working, everyone's working twice. I work, I think I'm going to move to the countryside, have a farm. No time, always busy. As busy as the person who's working, I'm working 60 hours a week or whatever. So like, we, I would love to have more time. And I think everyone would love to have more time and be under less pressure. And if there are two things that we can say, we slow down our economy or we slow down the kind of mad growth spin that we're on, and we'll have a better quality of life, and it's a better sale to make to people than to say, oh, you have to do this or you have to do the other thing. No, you're gonna, your, your life will be better. You'll have more time to chat to the person next to you. You'll have more time to, eat, to cook good food and, feed, and eat it with your family. You'll have more time to spend with your neighbours. You'll have more time to maybe spend a day in the garden doing a bit of growing own food. So I just think... But it's also down to the families. They have to... They have to Create the time for themselves to sit down as a family. Do, yeah. Eat. Yeah. A lot of people don't do that now. They watch you know the TV I mean? show. They watch the TV as It takes the same length of time to throw something in the, in the oven as to cook for yeah, yourself. Skills. But then you're right, that is where education comes. Because yeah. I know for me, like, you know, getting a veg box in the season with veg box and coming from an environmental background, a full on activist, and the first. Calvary that came in the box, I was like, oh my god, what do I do with this? Do you know, so you have to educate yourself. So yeah, you're right, there's there's a role of everything. Um, we're getting really short on time, so I have yeah, this guy, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, um, I grew up uh, spending my summers on my grandmother's farm in County Wexford, and it was a mixed farm of tillage, uh, sheep, milk, uh, turkeys, chickens, it was a vibrant place to go up, and they had the metal idea, and everybody came there to harvest. So that all died away in the 60s, 70s, because it became all milk. Um, my question is around the idea. I love the vision of all of this. and I live in a rural area myself, and near Lewisburg, and my vision would be exactly as you're talking about, and as the movie promotes. My concern is that uh, it's what's the reason why that all faded away. The reason is that there was 11 kids on my grandmother's farm, including one of them was my father, and they couldn't wait to get away from the farm. They all went for university education and they all ended up working in the industry and everyone else. My father went in as an agricultural scientist. <coughs> and I the movie mentioned uh, there at one stage a guy who was, said the farm was producing about <coughs> 84,000 pounds turnover in the year. 44,000 was going on three salaries. So my question is, how, you know, that's 15,000 <coughs> 15, per person competing with an average salary now in the industry of 30,000, 40,000, 80,000 if you're in IT. Um, how does, yeah, you know, how do we get from, do you know what I'm trying to say? I don't trying to say it's the only question. I'm going to get you to answer this fast and before we go in, just keep that thought in your head for a bit. We are getting a bit short on time, so if you <coughs> have any questions, grab the speakers before you run, before they run. Go ahead. Uh, it's a very good question. I wonder that myself sometimes, but I think as well, there's, there's two things. One, I think we go through cycles, and it, it, some of that cycle is this kind of movement away from the land and a cycle back towards it again, which comes sometimes with the experience of living in uh, a, a, a greater urban environment or and a sense of disconnect or even a sense of maybe even even having a bit more, um, what's the word, for wealth or, you know what I mean, going to the city, earning loads more money and then your children say, oh, I don't want to live in the city, I want to go back and live in the countryside. And I'm, I'm just perhaps going through a cycle now where people have gone to the big bright lights, I've sort of said, all that I was promised here, it's not as great as we made it out to be. Maybe there's also a good livelihood to be had uh, in the countryside. And it's, it, 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 when you come back and you turn around and you try and go to the countryside, you find out there's nobody there. And it's, it's pretty much a <laughs> shit place to live because everyone's like, you know, 30 or 40 years older than you. No, no, but I'm sorry. I shouldn't say it like that. Like, I, think, I think the tide is really turning. And the tide has turned already in many European countries where there's been a huge shift back to the, to the land, land-based livelihoods. And the second thing I would say is when we talk about livelihoods, because... I mean, I don't earn anywhere near the average industrial wage, and I never will. And I know that, I, that's, that's the truth. But nor do I pay any rent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I look after my own food supplies at home. I live in a mobile home in a field. Now, hopefully, I can try and change that situation. <laughs> but I mean, we, we have, you can, you can basically, most of your basic needs are, are looked after. 
from the land around you if you manage it in the right way. So like, that's also a knowledge thing. Because I think at the time, there was a kind of idea that th that old knowledge was bad and the new, new knowledge was good. Like the modernization thing I talked about earlier, like, oh, we have to move away from this mixed farm and you just do specialization. And now we're realizing, oh God, that was a really big mistake. Actually, the, the diversity is, is all the good things and all the interesting things and all the different edges that are there. And I don't know, I mean, maybe we'll have a whole generation that moves back to the countryside and then in, in 70, 80 years' time, we'll have another generation just going back the other way going, that's yeah, and I, like I don't think you know I, I think that that pattern of people all moving off the land it really only happened in small parts of the world, and I don't I think it it was quite temporally based. Like I don't think that's the human human dream forever. I don't think our resources would be able to handle it, mm. um, and. I do think, you know, people are saying, oh, well, you can't go back in time. And I, I don't think, you know, obviously we can't go back in time. But I do think we will change towards a society where it does seem closer to what it used to be. Because I don't think that dream is available. Like, also, you know, your dad and his siblings probably had the idea that they would one day own their own house. Mm -hmm. And that they would have a pension. Like, my, my brother was talking the last day... Um, because our parents was asking, and he, they were like, you know, and, and what about your pension? And he was like, oh, society would have crumbled. <laughs> I'll be fine. Um, but, but the title again? Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but so many of those of what you were promised, I think it was just a, a particular time in history. Yeah. I don't think it's a forever. I, 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 we have some friends who just moved nearby, and I said to them, we're each other's pensions. Because ultimately, <laughs> It, that's the situation I would rather find myself in. I mean, it's not a situation where you're going, all I have is, is money and I'm going to be uh, buying products uh, from some... I mean, I'd rather still be producing and, and collectively producing things with other people. And, and the, the basic needs are... It's pretty simple, you know? Your health, your, your shelter, your, your food supply. You know what I mean? I mean, I, people, other people. That's actually the most important thing. And that's the thing we've been kind of told... You don't need, and it's the only thing it's you, 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 the money, it? Yeah, and you yeah. don't have to pay for it. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, like we're we're social beings, you know. Yeah. Money only brings us something. But you know, it can be incentivized by the government as well. It's, it can be, yeah. It can be, yeah. 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 You know, like yeah. there's so many producers out there that get zero. Yeah. You know, it yeah. can be made more attractive to be yeah. living in. Yeah. You know, but that's what I mean with the factories. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to be mad to really to be to be doing. Yeah, half the half the farmers I know are mad because like I mean, they go, you're going like. Okay, but thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, I hate to cut this because honestly, we could sit here and talk all night. Um, but some of us have no old school to put in. We're the millennial age. I hate to close it up, but we're going to have to close it up. But we will be, you know, heading back out this way. So if you see any of the guys, grab them. If you are about tomorrow, please come around. Sorsha's just going to hang around with us for a few hours in the morning. David. He's got to work and give us some good foods in the week, and Fergie's got to go back and start going to bed. Um, thanks a million for taking part. Just before Sorry, we. Can I, can I just say, no, I have to defend. Uh, I'm not here to ask you to die a day tonight. You've got quite a battery there. I know. I, you know, they don't send people around to spy on groups. Right? <laughs> okay, yeah. I'm going to have to make it short, though. I'm going to make it very short. I think the idea would have started off very much as a small group, I guess, of people. It's sure. not the monolithic thing that you're okay. It's a very professional organization, that, but yeah. it's based on parish. We have a local branch here in Cork, yeah. right? Uh, it's based on small farmers. I think we have 935 branches nationwide. Yeah. And the policy of IFA comes from those branches, and I can vote for that. You know, I, I can start policy at the bottom, bring it to the committees, and bring it to the, to the, to the very top. Okay, so that's that's the idea of it. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, but I'm not actually hearing that. Okay. The, the, the problem, uh, just I, look, I, I admire everything that's been said here tonight. I, I agree with a lot of what said in the environmental chairman of Pompey. Yeah. Uh, I suppose one of the problems is that I see people spend about 10% of their wages, I think they refer to that yeah. as well, mm -hmm. on food. Yeah. People like cheap food. They do. <laughs> and the type of food. But it's all about marketing. The, the, so, so, so that's the first thing. So, so, so there is that movement always. To, so at IFA meetings, you hear the very same problems. They're, they're just small farmers trying to make living, trying to find a way, uh, etc. Now, I know 
I suppose I stay as an organization, I just go up against the big guys straight away. Like no, no, no. one needs to be, because for export to something like 85, 90% our food, it's not going to local markets anyhow. If it did, it would be absolutely flooded with all kinds of agricultural projects. We wouldn't possibly no, consume the type. So, so I just wanted to correct you on a few of those things. The other thing is just on CAF. At the moment, it's being renegotiated. There was a meeting with the Department of Agriculture in Sligo last night. There was a couple of uh, open meetings to the public, you know. Um, I think it's important to say that out of the nine objectives, the objectives of CAP have changed totally, right? Uh, out of the nine objectives that they have for the next CAP, which is starting in 2020, which will be 2021 now, there are three of them purely on environment. Yeah. There are a lot of, but the other parts of it are, are a lot of the issues that you've raised here tonight as well. So there is opportunities there within the existing systems, if you know what I mean, without reinventing the wheel on, on, on a lot of this stuff. Now, I, as I said, I'm not even here in the process. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just to so, tell you, don't want to go up against the IFA, that's yeah. for sure. I just want to be clear on that, like, you know what I mean? So don't, you know, look back yeah. and, uh, you know, we'd be crushed. But, like, uh, no. I don't think so. I think your views will be very much heard. On, on the cheap food thing, though, I'd just like to very, very briefly answer it. Very, very briefly. The re food can be cheap coming from us as well if we're getting uh, a subsidy for it. You know what I mean? I would happily give my food away for free. If, the, if I was getting the kind of subsidies that my neighbour get, is getting to sell below cost. Or, so, I mean, it, it, I think there's issues there as well. Regarding I think that's been examined in the new cap as well. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah. 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 And look, at, we could go back so and forward all night, and I won't say because yeah. we're already over time. And it's just to say that, look, this isn't, we didn't organise this to point fingers at you know, the big guys, the small guys, or anything else. This is the whole, the reason why we labelled it the future is rural because we want the narrative to be quite positive. But the realities are for a lot of us, and I say this as a farmer myself on the ground, the current system does not work for me, nor does it work for the people that I would feed, if that makes sense. And I know a lot of farmers like me. So we're just trying to kind of have a weekend to kind of shine a light on the kind of alternatives that are there. And again, it's not a challenge to anyone, it's just more opportunities for us all to work together. And I think... Yeah, thank you very much for that, because what I could hear as well is there's a need for dialogue, actually, and I think maybe this event can be a, a good starting point for, for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. That's, exactly. That's, that's yeah. very important. I forgot to say two things. So, one, tomorrow there's going to be a sign-up uh, table for oh, yes. Talat Bio. For anyone who wants to join Talat Bio, Breda uh, Rakh will be mine. It'll be in the, the tent next Remember, door. Yeah. Look out for the flags. And the second thing is we're having a, a, a kind of a launch action outside the Department of Agriculture on the 16th of October. And we really just want to show that we exist. Because I think at the moment we're not really on the radar and we just want to say, look, there are farmers out there, we're trying to organise ourselves, we've got a new message and we want to show a kind of positive, vibrant, colourful expression of that outside the Department of Agriculture. It's between half twelve and half two on the 16th of October to Wednesday. So get Wednesday off, 16th of October if you're working. Farmers, we all. Farmers, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so you know we stretched a bit, and you maybe your butts are hurting a bit, but we have one final uh, feature in this evening, which is breeder and a bit of comedy to finish off um, the night. But I'd really like to take the opportunity as well to thank you for for coming and being part and taking part in, the, in this discussion. And also to thank the Museum of Country Life for yes. giving us the opportunity to host this here, and especially Francis for really helping us so much in our <laughs> Slow. I do make comedy in the city, so they you know it's like educating about farming. But um, Banlasloe is, you know, a famous horse fair, of course. It gives Banlasloe the particular scent, the smell of horse manure and candy floss. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I never really get homesick when I sit in the toilet in some of the next cubicle eating sweets. Like, oh, Banlasloe. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
It's a home of Supermax as well, you know, do you like saying that? Four Supermax and Vanessa. She needs to keep it clean now, but this is a, as much as I, this is a cleaned up job now, And it's like, you know, it's like, so it was like a sexual currency, Supermax, you know, for a night out. Someone went in and bought you curry chips of cheese. You'd have to give them a shift, wouldn't you? Or someone bought you a snack box. Either a couple of legs and a greasy box by the canal. That's Ballas Hall, that's Ballas Hall. What can I say? I, I grew up in the countryside, though, like most of the farmers here. Yeah, yeah, I have to come out as a farmer most of the time in, in Dublin. But I grew up in the countryside, it was like trees and fields and bungalows. Bungalows everywhere. I think I saw a black person before I saw stairs. <laughs> Anyone grew up in a bungalow? Remember <laughs> styrofoam stairs in the ceiling? That was very exciting. I kept us going for months, up and down. Like I spent about two days in the attic waiting for someone to call my name. Yeah. Where are you, Brida? Upstairs! It's <laughs> very exciting. Yeah, it's very, I have a twin sister. Is there any twins in the room? Any twins? Oh, the man behind there, yeah. Girl or boy? Girl twin? Boy twin? Boy. Yeah, we have a girl twin. Her name is Ella, which is the Irish word for other. So, <laughs> I'm the main twin. <laughs> She's the other. Yeah, so we're very competitive, you know. I was born upside down, actually. This is in the 80s now, twins, you know. They're like, oh, Ella came out, and then like, the, well, I was foot first, and so just grabbed me by the foot and pulled me out. <laughs> that wouldn't happen now, would it? Yeah. Anyways, that's why I'm queer, I think, I was born to say that. No joke. But uh, yeah, so very competitive, you know, me and Ella. Like, you know, I became a lesbian, she became a midwife. <laughs> I'll let you finish that off yourself. But uh, I'm still winning, though. <laughs> but yes, uh, things you do in the, in the countryside for fun, you know? Visit the neighbours, did you ever do that, you know, going around? I had a neighbour now, quite a big guy now, and I used to, I brought, gave him the George Foreman grill for Christmas, and I went back a few weeks and see how he's getting on with the grill. And I said, I love the grill, and I love the tray for dipping the bread in after. <laughs> True story. He's still a single bachelor, you know, got land, road frontage, and he'll be dead soon. So. <laughs> But yeah, you know, it's, uh, but I, I used to love growing up in the countryside. We used to, you know, keep yourself entertained, you're on the farm, we always got fun. Our favourite thing me and Ella used to do now, sit in the wall, watch the cow and the bull make love. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. That's like vintage sex, it's all AI now, isn't it? <laughs> I don't explain AI to you, you know. The first time the AI clinic in Vanislaw was very funny. <laughs> Top of the square, um, you know, the woman went in to the AI clinic and she came back out very confused though. And she asked the man, the secretary, oh, where's the AI clinic? The AI, he said, aren't you after coming out of it, man? And she said, well, there's only a girl sitting behind the table. He goes, what were you expecting? A big white head bull? <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, AI. <laughs> Another true story from Vanislaw. <laughs> But anyway, I won't go, I'll just do, I, I am doing a show, I'll go in 2020, you know, give me funding to do a show on agriculture and the environment through comedy kind of thing, you know, and storytelling and stuff, because my father now is a great farmer, but he's, uh, you know, we were blacksmiths growing up and, and stuff, he was, not me, but um, he would say, oh, when I was young, you'd shine a light on the, on the field and you'd hear all the thundering noise of earthworms going back in, you know, and I was like, you don't hear them now, Daddy. You know, you don't have, I always shine the torch down. You don't hear them now, you know. But, you know, so I have a show, it's called 10, 10, 20, The Land is on Drugs. <laughs> and uh, we show up and, yeah, so it's good, isn't it? Yeah, so I was like, I've got a good title, and, you know, rural, East Galway, you no know, Vanessa. So I'll do that over the course of Galway 2020 next year because. Like I would be like talking about labour, farm labour. That's what I think because growing up, I was one of five, six. Was, there's five kids under five, so picking stones was our gym, you know, <laughs> in uh, East Galway. So, but, but there aren't anyone on the farms now. That's the picking stones. So labour is a problem. So, I would say, yeah, you know, chain gangs. <laughs> Joking, but yeah. But, but um, what was it? And then I, I have another joke for you. Well, one last joke, so it's not so dirty. Today. It's like I have no clean joke, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I never invite my parents to a comedy show. But uh, my daddy is very funny, actually. Talking about farms, I have one thing you know, he, he mixes up songs now lately. He's like, that song by this is the other day, he's like singing You're So Vain by Carly Simon. You're so vain, I go before you always. <laughs> <laughs> No 
Daddy. Stop right. Stop singing a mess. Leads out to the Protestants. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, but uh, so I did was dreaming. Uh, you know, when I was younger, six kids. You know, like I was like, oh, I'd love to go to Hollywood and you know live in a two-story stuff like that. And I, <laughs> so I, I wanted to have an imaginary parents. So I, I loved Star Trek. You know, and I want William Shatner to be my father. Or he was my father. <laughs> and then I also love Fleetwood Max, Stevie Nicks. You know, sweet, wonderful you. She sweet. You know, sing to me. So then they'd adopt me. I moved to Hollywood. I changed my name. Double barrel, double barrel. You know, Frida Shatner Nicks. that's it for now folks thanks a million for listening to those of you who produce food why not join the fair food movement get involved get in touch join us and if you're into fair food then become a supporting member or check out our patreon page to help us create more content like this until next time Eat well, choose fair.